This is John. I am joined again by Ward Carroll and our special recurring guest, Bill Wagner. This is Sing Second Sports podcast about Naval Academy sports for Naval Academy sports fans. We've got a great show this week. We're going to be talking to Coach Pat Owen. We're going to be talking to USNA Golf Course Superintendent Eric David. And we're going to be talking to Mallory Dietrich about uh, the Stars and Suites bakery bringing her back after she first appeared earlier in the pods life cycle uh but as we always do we try to break down what's going on in the sports world and it has been another very eventful week early in and around college football as we get closer and closer to byu so i'll kick it over to ward and wags uh for a discussion as to where things are, what conferences are doing, and how this might possibly affect the American Athletic Conference and what Navy does going forward. So, Wags, go ahead. Well, as we tape this pod, I'm due to speak to American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco shortly. I already know what he's going to tell me because he's done interviews with other media outlets around the American Athletic Conference. Uh, What the American Athletic Conference intends to do is follow the lead of the three remaining Power Five conferences. The Big 12 has already announced it it plans to continue to pursue playing football in the fall. The ACC and the SEC are expected to follow suit if all three of those Power Five conferences decide they are trying to play football in the fall. I believe the American Athletic Conference will follow suit. I think In a way, the American Athletic Conference sees this as an opportunity. Two other Power Five conferences have bowed out. As we know, the American Athletic Conference has been pushing what they call the Power Six, and you can't see on the pod, but I use the air quotes, the Power Six mantra, claiming that they're equal to the Power Five, and therefore there should actually be six Power Five conferences. Well, this season, in its uniqueness, gives the American Athletic Conference an opportunity to be one of the Power Five. If they're the only conference playing alongside of the uh, SEC and ACC and the Big 12, four total conferences, then they they raise their profile. From what I'm told, the presidents and athletic directors of the American Athletic Conference schools are on board with this. However, Mike Resco sees no reason to jump the gun on making any sort of announcement, yay or nay. They're going to buy their time, be patient. Uh, they don't see any reason to have to make a final decision now. But my, all my sources and everything Mike Oresco is saying publicly points to the American Athletic Conference wanting to play. So, Wags, what's the difference in terms of the logic between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and these other three conferences? Is this politics? Is this the, the COVID stats? I mean, so if, if the other three proceed and, and have a season, uh, even allowing there could be some outbreaks and some isolation, but they have a successful season, won't this really inflame the fan base of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and make those athletic associations look kind of like overly cautious? Well, I mean, what, what are the, the, the potential impacts uh, of how this is playing out. And, and how come the NCAA didn't come up with, with some kind of an overarching policy or do they not enjoy that kind of power over the entire infrastructure? Ward, you make too many logical points. <laughs> yes, first and foremost, the NCAA has abdicated all leadership. And they have, it is clear that they have no control over the Power Five conferences, and the Power Five conferences are going to do whatever they want. And they've even abdicated leadership to the Group of Five conferences. Basically, it's every man for himself. Mike Oresco even said that. The NCAA has basically left it to all of us to lead on our own. And so, and I cannot answer your question. Why did the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decide not to play? While the other three Power Five conferences, the Big 12, the ACC, and SEC, 
are plowing forward? I don't know. Uh, there's been this all of out of nowhere is talk of uh, heart related issues that COVID can cause various internal organ issues with myocardia, the you know being an issue. Um, however, none of the doctors who have brought that up are providing any evidence of proof of that. I, I guess it comes down to this. This is the way I see it. The Big Ten Conference and the Pac-12 both announced their decisions and said, player safety, player safety, player safety. This is all about taking care of our players. That is a lie. It's about money. And when there was money to be made, they were ready to play. As soon as they started hearing from their doctors and experts that they could face lawsuits, that's when the presidents got scared. So all I can say as to why two are not playing and three are playing, is because I guess the presidents of the schools at the two conferences that have decided not to play are afraid of the lawsuit issue and the potential liability that's out there, whereas the other three conferences, the Big 12, the ACC, and SEC, and let's include the Americans since they're ready to follow along with the other three, don't seem to be as concerned about the lawsuit and liability issue. And the other point you asked about, uh, Ward, was How will this look down the road? Well, it's going to be an I told you so for one of the two sides. If if all the conferences that play football might wind up getting through a season unscathed, then the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to look really bad. However, if this turns into an epic disaster and the college football season has to be shut down midway through, then the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can say I told you so. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think you framed it exactly right. The other element that I'll throw in, in addition to the revenue piece, is the status of student-athletes piece. NCAA likes to tout that these are not professional athletes. They're students first. And, you know, I I remember when I was an intercollegiate dinghy sailor and we had to sign the waiver that said we're students first and foremost and so forth and so on. And we won't, you know, get free gear and we won't do this and this. Um, you know, the ethics involved with being a student athlete, it's a tough gig, you know, to, to maintain a grade point average or even academic qualifications while you're busy as tech as a division one athlete. That's not easy, you know. Um, so regardless of sport, Olympic or otherwise, regardless of conference, being a, an intercollegiate student athlete is a lot. Now, for colleges that the students are not returning to campus, there is somewhat of a double standard now that they have to address, right? So if you're a student athlete and a student first and all of your contemporaries who are intramural warriors are not coming back to school because it's too risky, the health conditions do not support you being at the institution, but football players have to come back to school. Now it starts to change their status to the point where the discussion about should they be compensated is reopened. You know, and and, uh, who, what conference was it that did that uh, sort of, um, you know, testimonial or that that white paper about, you know, hey, here's what we're doing. I think it was Pac-12, right? Somebody's dad must have been a lawyer or an agent and and wrote that treatise about, you know, um, you know, maybe we should be paid after all. So there's that part of the matrix. Um, But the other thing I I just want to say before handing, handing it back to John is, the AAC is a Power Six conference. You look at the teams who are in it, and I can rattle some of them up, right? Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, Navy, UCF, right? All of these schools, when this conference first started, there was sort of a a, 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 a snicker when, when they first, and when Navy first joined um, the AAC, and now that conversation is moot. So I think this, this power six logic is sound. And if the AAC is using this opportunity of moving forward in the COVID-19 environment to stake their claim, um, I, I think it could be effective back to the matrix that you're talking about. You're either going to be really right or you're going to be really wrong. So we'll see. Well, I'll ask something a bit more existential. So you brought up um, you know, sort of the, the toothless or leadershipless nature of the NCAA in this scenario. So I'll channel my inner Jay Billis here, the, uh, you know, oft-critical college basketball uh, commentator for ESPN and, 
and and notorious hater of the of the NCAA and all of their double standards. Does this open the door, in your opinion, Wags or Ward, for that matter, for a a general you know decentralization of authority that the NCAA has enjoyed with kind of impunity for years, and and thus bringing out all of this frustration from people like Jay Billis or the Ed O'Bannons of the world who have been calling for their uh, trademarks to be able to make money. Um, you know, after all of this and, and Mark Emmert's complete absence in terms of leadership in the post-COVID world, do you see the NCAA sort of, sort of crumbling? Oh, that's a very good question, John. And I would just simply say that their actions speak louder than words during this unprecedented crisis. And they have been like shrinking violets hiding in a cave with nothing to say, nothing to offer, nothing. It's hard to claim yourself as being a leader in college sports when your actions during this crisis have been so abysmal. Ward? No, I agree entirely, 100% with what you just said. In times of crisis, that's when you, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And the NCAA has done nothing here. So I think the final answer to your question, John, is back to what Wags is saying is about we'll see how it goes. So if the three that are electing to move forward fall on their petards, then the NCAA can, make, can reclaim dominion in a way that is about this chaos. If they are successful seasons, then the NCAA is just cut off at the knees. So we'll have to see how it goes. But it's certainly in play now, and they have ceded their responsibility through, let's just call it, their, their cowardice. Yeah, so the other thing I'd ask you, Wags, is when you talk to Oresco, I'm not sure what role he might play in terms of, of issuing an edict or at least giving guidance or giving advice, but I'd be interested in what he says about fans. If he's going to be okay with it, if it actually plays no role, uh, you know a lot more about this than I do. So are you going to ask him about fans in the stands? I don't think Mike Oresco is going to tell the individual schools what they can do with terms of fans in the stands. That's a, an institutional decision based on the uh, guidelines presented by their state and municipality. So Navy will have its own decision on fans, and that will be driven by what the state of Maryland and Anne Arundel County tell them they can do. Um, so, you know, Mike Oresco has nothing to do with determining fans in stands at the individual stadiums of the American Athletic Conference. So they're going to have, if we're going to have fans in the stands, they're going to have to modify the logic that was applied to the recent lacrosse tournament we had and some other events that have happened at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium with no fans. So I'm not saying that fans are not going to happen. Um, I think if anybody can uh, provide other elements and other bullets in the logic matrix, it is Chet Gladchuk. Um, And there's an argument to be made for the bubble that just moves from the yard over to Navy Marine Corps. So certainly the brigade uh, could be present in the stands, socially distanced, masked up. Um, But what about other fans, alums and so forth and so on? Um, I'm a little less uh, optimistic that that would be part of the program, but we've talked to Chet before when it was the Notre Dame game, and he was very bullish on the idea that we would be able to have fans in the stands. Uh, I think the number he said was, you know, a third of capacity. He would sell tickets. So what is that roughly, Wags? It's 46,000 or 44,000? No, it's more like 37,000 is the max. That's like the Okay, so let's just say 10,000. Let's say 10,000, 12,000. 10, yeah. Um, yeah, 11, so then we, we jack the ticket prices up 3X and, uh, and we call it gate receipts, right? So um, we'll see. Um, and that's why, as normal with the Sing Second podcast, we're having the right guests at the right time to get the timely answers for the Navy sports fan base. So we'll, we'll be very interested to hear what they have to say. Yeah. And on that note, truth and advertising, um, I, I am trying to reach out to governor Hogan's office to see if he'll come on the pod, uh, or even Stuart Pittman, who I think, uh, the, the Anne Arundel County executive and the governor will probably play a role in, in determining what, um, what we're able to do in the stadium. I, I'll tell you one thing from my perspective, and I'm sure you guys share it. 
for the mids who aren't allowed to leave the yard this year, if they can just get one respite or a couple of respites uh, just to march over to Navy Marine Corps Stadium, God, that'll be nice. Yeah, because an entire semester at least uh, without being able to get off the yard. And, you know, now, now it turns into a, uh, you know, a, a Dwight D. Eisenhower deployment where, you know, you didn't get a single port stop. So that, that would be, that would be nice for them. So wait, well, I'm, well, I'd uh, be surprised if they're marching over. I, I think they would be bust over, but oh, yeah, again, these are the point. details. These are the details. Well, we'll talk to Bill Givens and Matt Munley about that. Uh, certainly if everyone the information they need. Uh, we're going to head to break, um, and when we come back, we're going to start our golf special. We'll be able to hear about the special rounds that Wags and Ward shot and the incredibly terrible one that I shot. Uh, this is Sing Second Sports. The Sing Second Sports podcast is brought to you by Mills Fine Wine and Spirits, conveniently located in downtown Annapolis, right there at City Dock. Owned by Jerry and Jen Donahoe, both class of 1994, Mills has a very extensive wine list as well as spirits and beer. They deliver to your boat, your home, or really anywhere around Annapolis. Just give them a call. Check out their website, www.millsfinewine.com. And please rely on Mills for your beverage needs. All right. We are starting special on the golf course. So we have just played the first guest round, um, you know, as the Sing Second Sports crew. Fantastic round for Ward. Really bad round for me. Wags, how did you do? Mediocre. <laughs> I love it. Well, this was the first day that, that I really played the full 18. Ward, this is your third round? Fourth round. Oh, so you're one of the four for four. So, you know, let me stop talking. And why don't you give me your four-day assessment of the course? You know, you had a perfect day today, like uh, some wind. It's actually pretty cool. Last two days have been really like wet and mucky and hot, you know, but, you know, give me your, give me your assessment of how the course played. Well, I mean, the course is beautiful. The condition is fantastic. All of the areas around the greens are absolutely fair. The greens themselves are rolling true. Tee boxes are gorgeous. Sand traps um, are, are very well manicured and uh, kind of foreboding now. You know, they're particularly uh, when I went into today is on number 14. The one to the left is over your head deep. Um, so sort of a Nicholas kind of thing going on there. But um, you know, we've been shut down here for about roughly a year. It's well worth the wait. The membership grumbled and people, nobody likes the course to be closed, but you know, it, it's fantastic. And so I'm, I'm overjoyed. There's some hard holes as we know now, um, but you know, that's golf. Yeah. And this is a great fraternity out here and you're going to hear a bunch of people talk about that. Um, Wags was able to be a part of that fraternity. Uh, you and I played on Thursday I'll post an awesome picture to our Twitter feed of you teeing off on one, which you smoked. Um, so you played the front nine on uh, Thursday, and then this was your first day playing the whole 18. What was your assessment of the back nine, which is really, for those of you who haven't played the course, is really where the most change took place. Number 12, which used to be a, a par four, is now a par three. Played about 240 the other day. Today played about 210 to 215. Uh, number 13 um, is now, you know, a par five. It used to be a par four. They kind of flattened out that hill before you go over the, or after you go over the bridge. And now number 14 coming back up is a really long and punitive par four. So, you know, Wags, from your perspective, you've talked to Eric, you've talked to uh, Coach Owen about it. How did you feel as a golfer being out here? Well, it's a difficult course. I've always felt it's very difficult. It plays very long I have trouble getting on some of the par fours and two, and that's playing from the whites. Uh, from the blues would just, I couldn't play here from the blues. It's a great course. I've always thought it was in a tremendous layout, but as you mentioned, it's an old course and it was ready for a renovation. I think one of the things that Eric David mentioned is that the, some of the trees had just grown so big when they were first planted, when the course was initially designed, you know, no one realized, you know, 40 some 50 years later, they're huge trees. And, I think on the front nine, removal of the trees creates much better sight lines. Uh, you can go up on the top hill, the highest point of the course, and see every single hole on the front nine. And the back nine, I think the designer, and Eric will tell us about the designer and some of his thoughts and why he did what he did. But he, from what I'm told from 
interviewing Eric briefly as we went around the course the other day was that he, the current designer wanted to harken back to the original design. So he brought back many of the elements of the original course design. Uh, example is that, um, I guess it's 14, there used to be a bunker in front of that, and they removed the bunker because the original designer felt that you should have an entranceway onto a hole. They'd, Jack Nicholas was a guy who thought, you know, have a bunker in front, you got to go up, because that's what he liked to do, play it up. The original designer thought you should be able to have an entranceway. If you hit a long wood and it rolls up, you should be able to roll it onto the green. So just a lot of interesting elements of why they did what they did with the design. And Eric will tell us a little more. A um, couple other interesting things. The fairways are a different type of grass. It's a Bermuda grass, very fluffy, you may have noticed during your round. Uh, Eric says that in the fall, they will go brown, but they will maintain they're fluffy type nature. They won't go ground almost like dirt, like the old Bermudas. Different bunkers. I, you have noticed that there's bunkers in the fairways. A lot of places where people like to play their shot off the tee, there's now a bunker. I think, John, you found one on number two that you didn't like. Yeah, super, super happy about the uh, fairway bunker on number two. And then, uh, yeah, there's now one on 18 on the on the right side. My, uh, my playing partner today, Phil Wimbish, who is a fantastic accountant and an even better golfer, uh, was informing me about that. But yeah, that, that's the whole thing, is that the course is, is meant to now be one of the elite courses out there, and it actually is. And you know, I'll make this the shameless plug for membership. If you want to join uh, the Naval Academy Golf Club, you know, please, please inquire. Uh, Amanda Gates, a Gates at usna.edu uh, can help you with that. We'll put out some more information uh, in that regard. But if you're active duty stationed in the area, if you're a retiree, if you're a civilian and you love uh, the uh, podcast and you live here in Annapolis, inquire about joining this club because, you know, there are some really good golf clubs around here, South River, Lake Presidential. There's, you know, a bunch of places that might seem okay, but this course now after the renovation is elite and, and it'll continue to get better as time goes by. So um, yeah, that'll, that'll do it for the, uh, for the intro here. We're gonna, start doing, uh, we're gonna start doing interviews. First off, catering our extravaganza today and, and making her return trip to the podcast. You're, fr you're the first ever return guest. I you feel know? honored. Yeah, we're only like 16 pods through. <laughs> I mean, Mallory Dietrich is back from uh, Stars and Sweets, uh, former company officer at the Naval Academy, uh, was a swimmer, graduated in- 2010. 2010, now back as the protocol officer. So I'll actually ask you the first question, a little bit of like Naval Academy business. What's it like as plebe summer has started and you're, you know, you're doing your job, you're doing protocol, you know, what's the whole, what's the whole environment like there now? It's starting to feel a lot more normal. Yeah. Uh, the yard was super quiet up until a few weeks ago when the plebes got on deck, um, but it's feeling more normal. There's buzz around the yard, the mids are coming back. Um, we had a forestall the other day with the CNO, so that was nice. It's just nice to see them back in their atmosphere and actually out there training, getting ready for the brigade to come back. It's going to look a lot different this year, I'm sure, but it's nice to see mids back on the yard. I love it. And, you know, as we're trying to hype up uh, particularly Naval Academy grad-owned businesses, how is Stars and Sweets doing? It's great. I mean, being back here is being back home, and it took a little hiatus, I think, when I went on the West Coast, but coming back here... Almost every weekend I've been doing something, so it's been great. I have my first wedding cake coming up, so that's awesome. And another baby shower cake coming up, so a lot of people want cakes. Well, I didn't, know, I didn't know we were having a birthday, but <laughs> we have a beautiful birthday cake here. What is this birthday, John, for Sing Second Sports? You know, we've, we've survived through the first parts of the pandemic, and, and now we've been able to get the, uh, you know, the golf back together. Uh, the band is back together, and... Uh, we just wanted to give a little bit back to everyone who has worked so hard, you know, to get this course back online. Um, Coach Owen will join us here in a minute, as well as Eric. But you know, we wanted to give back to a lot of the people, the members who have been so patient, the staff who's been working so hard. So, if that's a you know, if that's a reason to eat cake, then then great. I'll eat cake. I mean, I'll eat cake for any you reason. Eat cake any day. Yeah, seriously. Come on, and particularly you know the <laughs> stuff that you make. So, Mallory, how do people find the the business? Mainly through Instagram uh, and word of mouth right now. I mean, John's done a great job so far with the podcast, but um, my sister runs my Instagram. She's, she's been doing great at that, but uh, word of mouth a lot through the academy, through friends that are in the area. Um, on If you go on Instagram, it's Stars and Sweets. 
if you can follow along. Um, but that's the main type of communication. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. So check our Instagram feed. Uh, we've put out a bunch of stuff about uh, Mallory's uh, baking. So we'll we'll put out the pictures of the cake and the cupcakes today, and we're going to try to get everyone as fat as they can be uh, before they end the, uh, exit the golf course today. So Mallory, thank you as as always for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me for plying us with sweets. Uh, we're now happy to be joined by Coach Pat Owen, longtime coach of the Naval Academy golf team. Coach, what year did you start as a golf coach? I started in 1991, John. Oh my goodness. Holy moly. I didn't know it was, I don't know. still in middle school. (laughs) No, I graduated from high school in 91. Come on. Coach, obviously long, long time part of the fabric here, um, long time friend. And walk me through a little bit of, of how the last year has gone waiting for the course to be ready. But there's a lot of background. You know, I was talking to Phil Wimbish a little bit earlier. Yeah, that you know that actually the conversations with with the guy who redesigned this have been happening for years and years and years. So, you know, what's the background on on how long this has been in the works to redesign this and get it to where it is today? That's a good question, John and Ward. Thanks for having me on today. And um, actually, the concept of remodeling or renovating the golf course uh, first came about in about two thousand and five. And Andrew Green, who's the golf course architect, was engaged in those conversations, um, but the funding was not there. And then there were uh, two great friends of Navy Golf, which is the name of the organization, Admiral Hank Moss from the class of 59, distinguished graduate, and Admiral Bill Cobb from the class of 68, who are uh, golf running mates. And uh, Admiral, Admiral Moss lives out in Monterey, California, and Admiral Cobb lives in Northern Virginia, but... They played golf together for 50 years. They both were varsity golfers at the academy, and they decided that uh, they would really like to see a great golf course for the next 50 years for the brigade of midshipmen, the varsity golf teams, and the membership. After Andrew was engaged in the initial conversation with our athletic director, Chuck Gladchuck, Admiral Maws and Admiral Cobb came along, and they said, you know something, we're going to spearhead the, uh, the drive for the funding. They got the ball rolling, and then, as you know, once you get Chet involved in uh, a project and, and fundraising, nobody's better. So uh, between the three of them, they teamed up to raise uh, approximately $6 million for the renovation. And I would say it's worth every penny. I, you know, just walking around today, uh, being out here on Thursday, what's been your impression of the feedback from the membership who has been very vocal, you know, that they are known to be... Uh, you know, very opinionated about the course and, 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 you know, that, that's fair. But in the, in the last four days, I would say it's been an incredibly good four days. Uh, you know, so what, what's been kind of the tenor of the feedback for you? Well, an unbelievable debut for the new course. And, and you're right, you know, when the announcement was made that the golf course is going to be closed for a year or more for a renovation and there are so many unknowns and we had never been through that process, there was a lot of trepidation on the part of the members. You know, they're like, what the heck? What am I going to do for the next year? Well, we made some arrangements for them to play at some other golf courses, and uh, I think that was advantageous for them. And uh, many of our members walked the golf course numerous times during the course of the renovation, and the feedback was always great, uh, but I don't think that anybody anticipated how nice it would be once it actually opened. It's just fantastic. So basically, what did we do, Pat? We uh, tore up the greens, redid the greens. Um, and I, I know that having looked at, and I don't know anything about rebuilding a green, but there was sort of like a drainage system and other things that maybe wasn't there before. Redid the tee boxes, redid the traps, um, redid the fairways. So uh, what what was the scope of, w- of what we did? Not to mention redesigned a couple of the holes, but what, what, what did we do basically? Um, well, you, you covered it all, Ward, and I'll let Eric cover the technical aspects of it um, during his segment. But um, basically, Andrew Green is not only a terrific golf course architect, but he is a golf course historian, and he's a great fan of uh, classic golf course designs, including William Flynn. So we were fortunate enough that William Flynn came here in the early 1940s and designed the golf course that we played until last year. So for you know close to 80 years, we played the same golf course, and it had great bones. We would have people come down from 
Flynn courses like Shinnecock Hills and and uh, even Pine Valley, Flynn was involved in the design. And people would say, boy, this course has great bones, if only dot, dot, dot. it yeah. could be renovated. And um, so Andrew had the vision and he had the expertise. And then Eric has the expertise to follow up with all of the day-to-day things. And then Chet and Admiral Maws and Admiral Cobb got involved in the fundraising. And when you put the three together, fantastic. Absolutely. So, Coach, when do you think is yeah the the likelihood of the first intercollegiate match here? What what have you heard about your ability to coach the team and their ability to play not only here but around the Patriot League coming up this coming uh, athletic season? Well, those are great questions, John. So, the Patriot League itself, uh, as you know, has suspended all fall sports. Um, Mr. Gladchuck, the superintendent, the superintendent at West Point and the athletic director at West Point uh, were able to negotiate with the Patriot League to um, gain some exceptions on that. So our men's golf team and our women's golf team are able to compete this fall uh, with one-day events, no overnight travels. Um, The challenge is finding some other teams that can play at this point. So... We may be relegated to uh, just the Army-Navy golf match, which is called the N-Star competition. That would take place the first weekend in October at West Point. And right now that's on the docket. We don't have anything else uh, officially on the schedule at this point. Um, we're hoping that we have, we're able to practice and prepare for that. And then we really hope that we're back to full-time in the spring because one of the um, – key points to the renovation uh, time schedule was that we are uh, scheduled to host the Patriot League Men's Golf Championship next May. And we have a terrific team, and we really want our seniors to be able to finish out their home career with the conference championship on their home course. So have the the mids are back now. Have your golfers been able to play the new course yet? They have not. As a matter of fact, they have been quarantined for two weeks, which will end on this this coming Monday and Tuesday. So they're almost finished, and then we'll wait to hear what the plan is moving forward as far as them having access to the golf course. So right now, no midshipmen have played the golf course. When they do get to come out here, and one wonders, Ward, we've talked about you know how the the regular classes at the Naval Academy will be skewed, but you know you and I are used to seeing you know Rich Miranda out here with the. Uh, Naval Academy, like golf class as part of phys ed, you know, hard, hard to hard to know how they're going to do that or do anything that involves getting off of the yard since the, you know, the, the golf course and the club at Greenberry Point here are over on the other side of the Severn. So we'll see how the pandemic continues to affect people. My assessment over the last four days, it hasn't affected people coming out here and playing golf Basically, the 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 scene I've you know, observed, coaches, that every tee time has basically been filled since Thursday, and you know the the feedback to you has been generally positive. I presume it's been one hundred percent positive, and you're you're so correct. I mean, it we have had full tee times from seven o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night every day, and I think that trend will continue for a bit, and then maybe things will level off after all of our members have had a chance to sample the new course. But it's so nice that maybe maybe we won't see a drop in play. But the midshipmen are going to be absolutely thrilled with the new golf course. We, we've taken it, um, when I say we, Andrew and Eric have taken it from a 6,500-yard par 71 golf course, which for a college player is not very challenging lengthwise, to a 7,000-yard par 70 golf course extremely challenging so we anticipate uh, both on the men's and the women's side that we'll be able to bring in some really great opponents in the future to uh, compete with us here at navy well since we have you pat let's do let's pretend like normalcy will descend on us in the springtime let's do a spring preview how's the team looking who are the standouts what should fans look for going into the springtime um well uh, thank you so much for asking about that ward we have a really uh strong senior laden team we have four seniors all of whom have started at one point over their career and in golf you uh basically your starting lineup is similar to basketball you have five players you may have a sixth or seventh man coming off the bench and uh 
you know, that's pretty much the core of your people who play. But um, our team is definitely led by this year's uh, senior team captain, Charlie Musto, 20, uh, 2018 Patriot League individual champion, Patriot League MVP, all-conference. Uh, he's, he's had three college victories at great venues. One is Saucon Valley in Pennsylvania. One is Bethpage Park in New York, and one is at Four Streams north of Washington, D.C. in a sudden death playoff at the Georgetown Invitational. So just a terrific player, but he's surrounded by teammates who are just just as good, actually. Uh, one of his fellow firsties, Ward Wilkinson, had two rounds in 2019, um, two 18-hole rounds on 7,000-yard golf courses, bogey-free rounds in the 60s, not a bogey on the card. And that's to me, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And some, some great underclassmen to support him. So do you think you could win the Patriot League uh, next spring? Is there's, there a there's possibility? No, no question about it. Very, very good possibility. Now, the competition in the Patriot League in the last even just five years has increased dramatically. Um, I'm not positive if it's, if it's because of better recruiting or just more emphasis on the programs. But it's very, very competitive. And the teams that uh, have won in the last three or four years are – Navy, Army, and Loyola. Uh, but uh, Bucknell, Lafayette, uh, Colgate, they're nipping at the heels. So uh, you really have to be on your toes to win, win one nowadays. So has there been any uh, intrigue from other coaches calling you about, hey, talk, Pat, talk to me about the new course. What are you guys doing down there? Have you, have you fielded any calls from other co coaches about the renovation? A little bit, in particular, the Bucknell coach, who's a retired Marine Corps pilot, and he loves, just loves Annapolis and loves the Naval Academy, and he had an opportunity to come down and visit the course. He brought his daughter down for a day trip, and uh, he just he couldn't believe the changes. Really thrilling. It was my first time playing number 12 today, and this is the big conversation point about the renovation of the golf course. The 12 used to be a really neat downhill par four. You'd land in a little collection area, and if you really like smoked the ball, you had probably like 90 yards left to an uphill green. Um, you know, and then you you know basically walked you know 10 yards to the to the 13th tee box. So now number 12 is completely different. It's a kind of a downhill. Uh, 200 plus yard par three. Yesterday, Ward said it was playing 240. Ward? No, 226. Was, 226. Was Today, it was playing more like 215. So you've played it all four days. What what did you what did you play all four days, and how did you do all four days on on the venomous number twelve? Actually, I've played it three times, and the, uh, three. the longest distance that I played it from, I think, was. Uh, 244 maybe, and then 230, but but closer to the 215 is more in my comfort range. And uh, to be honest with you, I have no ego. I've hit driver every time, and I've parred it three times. Uh, so, sweet. Uh, but <laughs> I either parred or a double bogey. That's hit. why you have 14 clubs in your bag. You gotta you know which one to <laughs> use. Yesterday when I played, uh, a couple of the guys in my group. Uh, I think their ego got in the way of them pulling a driver out, so they hit a three wood, and they were thirty or forty yards short. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a long, difficult hole. I don't think that it really plays that much downhill, even though it is downhill. You know, yeah. I don't think the no, yardage is that much shorter. It's not. No. And, and the the greatest feature about the new twelfth hole is the fact that it is a huge green, and and it is a uh, a replica of a classic. Uh, golf green design going all the way back to the old days of Scotland. It's a reverse Redan. So it slopes from left to right and from front to back with the exception of the false front. So it is just a really classic golf hole. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of drama in that hole with college <laughs> Absolutely. competition. Yeah, that'll forward. be a, a fun thing to well, watch. Well, I have my Commandant's Cup match on Tuesday. And if I play anything like I played today, that is not going to go well, particularly on number 12. But I, I'm telling you, number 12 is gorgeous. The rest of the hole is gorgeous. And Coach, thank you so much for what you've done, You know, not only for the Naval Academy, but for the Naval Academy golf team. And then for us as members here at the Naval Academy Golf Club. This is just a fantastic track and a place where you can bring guests 
and and really entertain and show them a world-class golf course no absolutely there's there's no nicer guy than pat and uh you know i've known him since 1998 and uh you know he's he's the don out here he's uh he's the pope of the the situation and it's it's great to uh have the course back reopened and for those who are thinking of joining you're in good hands with with pat there's nobody more fair, and there's not a nicer guy on the planet. Well, thank you so much, you guys. It's a thrill to be on this. We're thrilled to have this brand-new golf course to offer to the members, to all of our Navy and Marine Corps community, or just the military community in general, um, and also to not only the Brigade of Midshipmen, but to all the college teams that will come here in the future. We've had so many uh, actually great players here in the past. We've had uh, Brant Snedeker here. Um, We've had Keegan Bradley here to play. Now I think the uh, competition is going to be just fantastic, and we, we can't wait to host. So thank you so much, guys, and don't be afraid to pull driver on number 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm there. I'm there. So uh, I'll, I'll say it for Pat, but uh, you know, behind Pat is a very dedicated crew. Mike Burke, uh, who played golf at Clemson, uh, Drew Linder, uh, Ricky Phelps, um, you know, Brad, the rest of the crew, uh, Nadia St. Marie, who's the, uh, the, the coach of the, uh, women's golf team, just a fantastic crew here. If, if you live locally and you need golf lessons, uh, if you just want a nice place to play, um, you know, please come out here. It's, it's a fantastic course and, uh, and you, and you'll find no nicer people. So, and Pat Owen is definitely one of them. So joining us right now, yeah, the new superintendent of the uh, Naval Academy. Is that the proper, Eric, the proper um, title? Yeah, that is the proper term, uh, golf course superintendent. We were talking to Pat a little bit about the technical details of the renovation. Talk to us a little bit about how did we rebuild the greens? What did we do to the sand traps, the tee boxes? What, what goes into this kind of a re renovation? Because I noticed first the crew that did the renovation i understand they also did riviera is that true they were the, it was the same company that did riviera yes they've done riviera inverness uh currently they're at uh, congressional they've been up on long island um they're actually located in jessup maryland that's their headquarters but they go all over the country so they they had like ruthless efficiency right they were doing a whole a week they would tear the green to parade rest they'd put in what looked to be like um little channels i guess that was for drainage and you know i'm not a, a golf course architect so I, I didn't know what i was looking at but it looked like pretty substantial modifications so talk to the audience about what did we do here with this renovation so it's a substantial subsurface renovation so most of the holes that you see are still intact the way they always were that was the idea of the architect was to keep the same design, the same greens, the same roll pitch, the same feel of the golf course, because it was more of a restoration than a renovation other than the three holes. Uh, the problem was the greens were built in the 40s and they were basically built on just native soil and we had eight inches this last week. That eight of inches would have essentially made these greens too wet to play for days or weeks or they would have lost a lot of grass. So. They're USGA spec greens, which means you dig them down to 16 inches. What you saw was channels with um, plastic drain tile covered with gravel at four inches and then 12 inches of sand on top. After we got to that point, what we did is we sodded in a new variety of bent grass. These were old POA push-up greens, which again, does not do well in the heat of Maryland during the summers. This bent grass has been used for about 10 years in this region, so we knew that it was going to be okay. You know, I want to highlight, I guess, that other than those three holes, Andrew's idea was to keep the course exactly the way it was, that you would still get the same putt on seven that you got on seven, that you would still get the same putt on five, and recapture some of the old lost green space. There were some areas where the greens had actually shrunk. Uh, the bunkers were too far away from the greens. So you really wanted to make sure that you kept the William Flynn feel on the golf course and add the new elements of the new technology that we have. That's, that was kind of the overall goal. For those who don't know how you necessarily get into this line of work, uh, how, how did you come about this? So you came aboard three years ago. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about you know, where you were before this and how you got into this line of work in the first place. 
Well, so I was an I mean, as avid golfer when I was younger. I mean, still am. I just don't play that often. But I decided to work at the golf course down the street for me because I would play free golf. And um, I just started doing it. Uh, my grandfather was a greenskeeper, though, as well. Um, so I had some family interest in it. And then I decided to go to school for it at uh, Michigan State. I got an internship at Baltimore Country Club. I spent 10 years at Baltimore Country Club working my way up from intern to the East Coast superintendent. This job became available. Uh, Andrew Green actually reached out to me and a couple other people. And, you know, we interviewed for the job and I got it. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. This is a really fantastic place. And also he said, you know, we're going to do a golf course renovation. So also very cool. So the golf course is reopened. We've been reopened now for four days. It's glorious. It's fantastic. What's keeping you up at night in terms of condition piece? What? Because you're kind of like a farmer. That's a rough analogy. But what what are you hawking that, uh, you, you know, you want to make sure doesn't go south? Because when it goes south, it can happen quickly. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing, obviously, is for us for the greens. And not because I don't think that the greens will eventually handle traffic, but these greens are only two years old from start of seed to where they are now. So in August of 2018, the grass was actually grown on a farm on the Eastern shore. And then last fall we installed this grass. So it's very young. The more mature it gets, the more traffic and the more beating it can handle. Um, no difference than the putting green that was installed in 2016. That thing does very well in the summer with the traffic and it doesn't, and it recovers well here. You know, we're just on just playing defense. It was the hottest July on record, which even without any traffic on it, kept us up trying to keep it, uh, keep it going. So opening day, it was in good shape. And just the, the rain and the weather. I mean, it's always about the weather. It's how hot it is. It's how much rain. And fortunately, again, we built these greens for this kind of weather, for the heavy rain, for the traffic. And so far, well, we had eight inches of rain last week and we opened the golf course without anybody, you know, n really knowing that it was that wet out here. Go ahead, Wax. Well, I wanted to jump in. One of the things, I did an interview with you. We kind of toured the course the other day with Pat Owen, and he told me some of the features. One thing that really struck me, and I'm going to try to bring this out in my article, is that you're trying to balance how the course should play for college golfers and also for the members. And you needed to lengthen the tees for the college golfers. They were killing the course, and you had to get the tees further back. However, that doesn't necessarily apply to the senior members and others. And I thought you've been very innovative with some of the things you've done in terms of making it fair for all. That was one of the big things. We didn't want everyone to just think that this was a, a, a redesign for the, only for the midshipmen, only for the men's golf team, because uh, even on 15, there's an auxiliary tee down below the main tee that's actually for the women's golf team as a little bit longer shot for 15 them playing up on the red tees but not too long for them to play on the back tees and those holes that he designed there there's a lot of flexibility for the membership to play and for the college golf team but with the members you we've added some senior tees and fairways we've done that on five and nine and ten these tees are just a flat spot in the fairway that doesn't require any more maintenance for my staff. And, but it creates a nice play. I've seen the senior men playing on it at nine and they love it. it it's a really good design feature. Well, I think along that innovation is, I believe it's 14 where it plays as a par four for the blues and whites, but there's a senior tee in between then and they play it as a par five, correct? Yes, they, so they, they use the front of the blue tee as a par five and the, the red tee is the front of the white tee as a par five. And we did that so that we didn't have to build five, six, seven sets of tees for everyone to play on and utilize the space we had. Um, we used feedback from members. We talked to uh, at the advisory board that we have out here as to what the best thing to do was. And these were the, these were the comments they gave us. And Andrew's very good about integrating other people's feedback. And what he really liked about out here is there wasn't really a giant committee of feedback, but there was a few very members that had been here for a long time that really understood the game and understood the membership. And that allowed him to build the course to fit everybody. And I think he did a really, really good job. So we're talking about how long 
Number 12 is as a par three. There's also an option to play 11 or 12 as a long or short par four, right? Is that is that how we might set it up sometimes? Uh, 12, I think, would stay. It could. It, it could be a short par four if you put it all the way on the back. Um, Can we do that, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was what Mike was telling me. Uh, Mike the pro that you were just oh, mentioning. Mike he said, as I'm complaining about a 226-yard par three um, and me hitting driver, he's like, oh, no, well, some days we'll have it as a short par four, which I was, my ears perked up. I'm like, now you're talking, <laughs> right? So he was what you we call BSing me, Eric? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, he was, he was trying to give you some hope okay. that you could actually yeah, par hope. that hole. Don't give me any hope. <laughs> Because I really go there. So the biggest thing for me, Eric, um, thinking back to what the course looked like three years ago, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot to come up with a number that you might not be able to come up with. But for me, the biggest change in the course is the sheer number of trees that are gone. You know, if you, if you used to stand on number one tee box and you'd look to your left, there was a whole row of trees that was in between you uh, on, on the number one uh, fairway and the number six fairway. Uh, a ton of trees on the back are gone. You know, at, how many would you estimate over the course since you've been here in three years? How many trees have come down? Because I actually think that it's for the betterment of the course. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really have a, a number because there, there's a lot of trees. There was a lot of tree when I got here. There was a lot of dead trees that needed to be removed. So that was the starting point. Um, and. What we really did is, is we looked at areas where we were growing new Bermuda grass fairways and they need a lot of sunlight. And that agronomically, that's why the trees were moved. The side part of that is the views and the views of the property that you get. So we did it for the grass first and a byproduct of doing it for the grass created really, really awesome views on the golf course. No, it's great. I mean, it, it, Obviously, I'm a spray fest off the tee, so I'm not sad to see some of those gone, but the teeth is still there, you know, in the form of length, in the form of uphill, downhill, in the form of the traps. And once it starts blowing out here in the fall and the spring, that's when the, the, the course is really going to reveal itself. Yeah. And, and Eric, I mean, my hat's off to you. They, it, the course is just phenomenal. Uh, you know, the way it's played today, the last four days, the improvement over where it was three years ago. Um, it, it really is a benefit, uh, not just to midshipmen, not just to members, but to anyone who comes out here, people coming back for their reunions. We would encourage you to come by, try to play the course. Again, inquire about being a member here. It's a fantastic membership, fantastic pros. If you have kids who want to learn golf, great teaching here. So Eric from the Sing Second crew, uh, thank you for what you've done and, and good luck managing it going through the rest of the uh, going through the rest of the summer. My last question would be, if, if you had one dream, you know, what, what would be your next addition or change to this course? Um, I think the course is, is overall is really well. We're, we have plans on doing the driving range. I think that's the next part, uh, maybe a practice area for the golf team. But I, I think it's in really good shape. You know, there's some side things that we need, clubhouse, cart barn, things like that. But, you know, I think the course as a whole is really well done. It's always evolving. There'll be more projects that we're going to do down the road. I have a really good crew. Um, Jamie Galvin, uh, Chris Thayer, and Steve Smith are my assistants, and they've helped pull this thing all the way through from laying sod to working late nights on the weekends. Um, you have to have a good crew behind you. I have a really fantastic group of guys and, and group of greenskeepers here that take pride in this as though they own it, and I think that's one of the big things that you, you see that on the course, the ownership they take when they're actually out here working. Um, and, and I think, again, there'll be small changes. You'll see things evolve, different grassing areas, different lines. But overall, I think there's a big, giant project. Knock the whole thing out at once. That's the way to do it, and we can just keep moving forward. Yeah. Uh, let me second what John said. Uh, thank you, Eric. And we, you, the fact your team cares does show, and the membership and uh, the mids, I'm sure, once they start playing here, will notice. So thanks very much. Yeah. And uh, favorite Michigan State basketball player of all time? Oh, it's got to be Mateen Cleaves, right? Uh, well, or Magic Johnson, but he's before no, while my you were, time. Yeah, while you were he there. was before <laughs> my time, so Mateen <laughs> Cleaves. <laughs> nice. All right, go green. And this is going to wrap the, uh, the, the golf course portion of this. When we come back from break, uh, we'll wrap it up. And uh, this is Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, 
please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back. I hope you could hear in our voices how much we enjoyed the golf course. Um, I hope everyone else out there enjoys the golf course like we did. I'll make one last plug as I did during those interviews to come out and support that golf course. If you're looking for a great membership, I'm telling you, active duty, retired, civilian, uh, it is a fantastic, fantastic golf course uh, with great sight lines of the Bay Bridge, of the Severn River, uh, of the Chesapeake Bay. It is just an absolute joy to play. Um, and, and I hope that came across. So if you need any other information about the course, we will post it um, as part of the posting of the pod uh, information about the golf course, the website and everything like that. Let's kick it over to Ward first uh, to take us out. Uh, Ward, what were your impressions? As a member, I'm super happy that it's reopened and all of the anticipation and the, the months uh, without playing Navy, I'll say we're worth it because as both Eric and Pat pointed out, this wasn't a redesign. It was a renovation. They wanted to preserve William Flynn's original intent. The course has quote unquote good bones, but it needed a facelift in terms of the bunker structure and in terms of the drainage of greens, which we've already leveraged that in this very rainy few days we've had. Uh, it's draining just fine. But in terms of the playability, the challenge, the redesign of some holes on the backside, I'm, I'm very satisfied and I look forward to the challenge of playing this course uh, for years to come. So um, I'm glad we were able to have both Pat, who is, as I said, uh, as we were speaking to him, pretty much the Pope of Navy golf, the nicest guy in the business, a great pro, a great coach of the intercollegiate golf team, a guy I've known for many years, just a super gent. So it's great to talk to Pat and also to talk to Eric the greenskeeper because he's under the gun to not just make it work at the grand reopening, but to keep it up to speed. And that's why I asked him what's keeping him up at night. And so, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers with Eric to keep this thing going. Um, and, uh, but I, I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, with what we got and having played it, as you said, Chris, uh, half a dozen times so far, um, it's the fairways are, are pro style. You know, you can't get a bad lie in the fairways. That wasn't the case before you did kind of do preferred lies, even in the midst of the summer. So that stuff's all over. I know Billy Hurley would be proud to host his charity tournament there. It wasn't that way before. He sort of said, hey, if we don't get our act together, um, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And that, that was kind of the final straw to, to move on this initiative. Um, so I know that Billy's got to be super happy and I know the membership's super happy. So it's, it's, it's all good. Well, I'll chime in for having spent significant time working on the story about the uh, course and actually Eric David's term that he liked to use was restoration, actually restoring it to what it was. Um, but to me, what an incredible team effort by everyone involved that cares about the Naval Academy golf course. And it's such a Navy thing to do. It's the Navy's one giant team. And in this instance, the smaller team that cares about the Naval Academy golf club came together to make this happen. Price tag was significant, almost $7 million in total for this restoration. And it started with the, the new irrigation system, which laid the foundation for everything. And, you know, a lot of people put up a lot of money to make this happen. I applaud Chet Gladchuck for his idea to sell uh, uh, tea markers on every tee for 100000 That brought in $1.8 million. But there were a lot of other people that put up big bucks to make this renovation happen. It's not going to cost the taxpayer a dime. This was all private donations. And what an incredible job they did of, of, of restoring this course and doing so all on private donations. Yeah, I agree with both uh, Warden Wags. The course is incredible. I, I do believe it's being restored to uh, something that is going to be very special, not just for the golf team, but for guests, um, Billy Hurley's tournament, members, mids, um, and hopefully other Patriot League uh, teams appreciate 
what a special golf course that's going to be. Um, and hopefully I shoot better scores in the future. Uh, in the next week, uh, Warden Wags, what are you looking to other than obviously the, the large shoe that will drop um, with regard to fans or no fans, stadium operations, tickets, how we're going to play against BYU. Uh, other than that, what are you looking at on the horizon? Well, I'll start off by saying I had an, my article today talked about the way Navy is practicing. Coach Niamatololo has decided that he does not want his frontline players going against each other because if one of them gets the virus, the other is automatically lost for two weeks. So he's not taking chance on a mass quarantine. And so therefore, throughout the entire preseason training camp, the starting offense will only go against the scout team defense and vice versa, starting defense only against scout team uh, offense. So the risk you run there is it's hard to get prepared for a real football game when you're not going full speed. And when I go to Navy football practice, the time that I really stop and take notice is when they go to the period in which the starting defense and the starting offense go against each other at full speed. That's when I can see who's legit, who is looking good, and who is making plays. They won't see that this entire camp. I saw photos of a BYU practice and they were in full pads playing complete scrimmage football. I saw offensive linemen backpedaling to provide pass protection against defensive linemen. So I can tell you right off the bat for the opener, BYU is practicing differently than Navy. I don't know what that's going to mean, but that's the decision Ken Niamatololo has made. Um, for me, there's only really one thing on the plate, which is what – form is a home game going to take so you know again from, from my point of view is the chain gang going to be manned by the folks who've been doing it for the last 15 years um what are the other manning issues in terms of folks who are normally on the sidelines and then you work your way out from that circle into the stands so what are they going to have in terms of availability of tickets what are the rules going to be in the protocols in terms of tailgaters you know in annapolis in the fall for five or six weekends um during the fall it, it is the the core activity um so there's a lot of planning that needs to go on around just the existence of a, of a home football game so the answer we get with respect to those fundamental as you frame it john the big shoot and drop is going to inform everything else. So that's the thing that, uh, that I'm personally going to be focused on for the next few days. Cause we need these answers, uh, you know, pretty soon. Yeah. We're going to get them from Bill Givens and from uh, Matt Munley. The thing I'm going to be watching, uh, particularly when I talk to, or when we talk to Munley, um, next week, the avid Yankees fan that he is, is I want to get his take on, uh, how worried he is about the very mighty and vaunted Baltimore Orioles who just can't lose right now or scoring more runs than any other team in baseball. So uh, we'll be sure to press Matt's buttons about his beloved and very hateful Yankee squad. Um, here's hoping that they lose every single game they play. Uh, any last parting shots, Wags? Well, I was just going to chime in on Ward's infrastructure question, which is a very, very good question. You know, how are they going to staff this event? But I know one thing, the media, the press box is going to be greatly reduced. Uh, I've already been told that the Capitol may not have two writers, as we have come to expect. We usually have me, and I have an assistant there to do a sidebar or some other type of secondary story, and there's no guarantee that's going to happen. We may be relegated to one, uh, one writer, and a lot of other people that have been hanging around the press box, not really working, but just there they're out it's going to be bare bones and you had better have a darn good reason while you're there you're producing something really important otherwise you're out and then same with on the sideline uh the photographers are going to be limited and i was told that my photographer may have to serve as a pool photographer providing images to other outlets which is 
you know, they never asked us whether we're willing to do that. And I guess we're not going to have a choice, but it's quite possible Paul Gillespie from the Capitol is going to be providing images to the Associated Press to then distribute on the wire to the rest of the nation. So Ward is very, he's right. There's going to be changes. And I don't know what all of them are, but I know on the media front, press box is going to look a lot different. Well, we'll end with this. It's been getting talked a lot about. Number one, um, this is the same week that the Tribune Company closed the Annapolis Capitol offices. So again, I know that I sound like a broken record here, Wags, but for, for what you do, for what you and your colleagues have done, uh, for them to shut down that office uh, is, um, is just bullshit. And, and I feel very comfortable saying that online. And, and you know Ward and, and Chris and I are supporting you 100% of the way. And please pass that along to your colleagues. Uh, I find it uh, completely, completely awful uh, what they're doing. And it's going to hurt the coverage of Navy sports, number one. But it'll hurt the coverage of everything that's happening in Annapolis. And I think that as you get conferences like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten canceling seasons, that sports information departments are going to be targeted and other parts of athletic departments are going to be targeted for layoffs. Um, that is another third, fourth, fifth order effect of, of what's going on here that is really, you know, it's not just affecting sports. People need to remember that this is affecting human beings. And, um, and as we sign off here, I want to I want to send out our support of all of those people who are getting affected by this um, as we go forward. So um, for Bill Wagner, for Ward Carroll, and uh, Chris Cervello, who produced this and produces it very well every week, I am John Schofield. Join us next week on Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.